Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is... And you have to introduce it kind of weird this, this week. Um, Maybe I did. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. I write for a Slash Film. Uh, I got to write an article this week about how great Dr. Phlox is from Star Trek Enterprise. Now, I don't want, I don't want you to ruin this for everybody. I want people to click on the article, but can you give us like a little taste? How great is Dr. Phlox? Well, the, the headline of the article will give it away where I, I, the headline declares that he's the greatest character in all of Star Trek. And, uh, I, I, I write bold, so much, that's a bold statement. I write so much about Star Trek over on slash film. I write like it. maybe four or five articles for every, like 30 minutes of lower decks this, they put out on the air. This is the first step of you, like, on your path to writing Star Trek. Oh, I sure hope so. Wouldn't well, that be great one for of, you? One of my dreams has been uh, that uh, when CBS All Access launched, we'll get to the letters in a second. It's um, a letter show. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but uh, when CBS All Access launched, they're now Paramount Plus. Yeah. Uh, they j- just put all of their eggs in Star Trek. Our yeah. Star Trek and SpongeBob were like their two big nest eggs. Yes. And. Uh, so they they said we're going to do Star Trek Discovery, and then we're also going to do these like eight other Star Trek shows. And yeah. there's currently six yeah. running concurrently, if you count short treks. Uh, and it's like more Star Trek than we've ever had ever. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I kind of hoped that they would go a little bit hog wild and say, and we're also going to do uh, more Star Trek novels. Yeah. And we're going to reopen Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. Yeah. And mo- most importantly, we've signed a deal with Audible and we're going to do like Star Trek audio dramas. And I've written some audio dramas. Oh, that'd be cool. So it's like, okay, they have like I Doctor write... Who dramas that they've been like, you know, with, with like doctors who are no longer on the show. But yeah, from like since the 80s, they still do Like them. they'll come back and they, yeah. they get the same actors that'd to be do cool. the voices again. They've done that with a couple X-Files uh, stories. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, what I found was funny, they did it with the X-Files, and then they brought back the X-Files, and it contradicted things that happened in the radio shows. Uh, uh, X-Files. They, uh, there was a, sh- I think there was a shape-changing alien, so they were able to bring back all these dead characters, and the actors came back to play That's them fun. again. Uh, so those were really, really fun. A good time I, I, was I want to be able to write canonical audio Star Trek stories. Well, and if anyone uh, has any access uh, in the world of Star Trek... Make it so. Okay, <laughs> so this is our this is our letters podcast here at the uh, critically acclaimed network. You control the conversation. Aside from that short bit at the beginning, we'll go two minutes longer in order to to make up for that little aside. All right, but uh, yeah, this is how it works. You send us an email. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed dot net, uh, and we might read your email on the show. We also have a P.O. box. What is the P.O. box? You can mail us an actual physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. That's right. Uh, and uh, we just like to dive right in as quickly as possible, except for several minute long asides about how Whitney <laughs> likes Star Trek, because otherwise we have no venue to talk about Star Trek. No, no, never. I, didn't I just say I wrote like five articles yeah. about a single and, and, and don't we have like, X episode? And don't we have like an incredibly ambitious podcast where we're going to review every single installment of Star Trek ever? Uh, yeah. And are we over sure. like 150 episodes into that right we're, now? We're pretty deep in. And yeah. that's on patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Okay. <laughs> Here's a letter from Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. It says, uh, dear sirs, I hope this letter finds you well. It found us. I've, I have a uh, bit of a sinus thing, but otherwise I'm fine. Thank you for asking. I write this with some trepidation. I don't know. You see, I hold the distinction of having written the very last letter read on the B-Movies podcast. Oh, snap! That was our, our first podcast back Ugh. on the Crave Online days. Mm, uh, memories. Hopefully history does not repeat itself. I'm not a curse, I swear. <laughs> this is ours. Yeah. The they they can't take this ours. away from us. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the 
the company won't shudder and take it away. It's ours. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm writing to you about movies, specifically those of the made-for-TV variety. <laughs> Tell me, what are some of your favorite entries from this seemingly extinct or endangered art form? And do you agree that some franchises, was n- some franchises would now be better served by reducing their padded season of six to a dozen episodes or to a simple TV movie? Looking at you, Obi-Wan or Star Trek Picard. <laughs> Uh, cheers and happy trails, Mike. P.S. A giant wolf man. A giant wolf man? <laughs> that was a, that, somehow you, that became a catchphrase on our previous podcast. Uh, not somehow. You pushed that. I, one. You, I you just, tried to make that I one just, happen. I, hey, hey, we got requests. <laughs> we got actual requests. That, that was in uh, reference to the video game Rampage. Yes. An old arcade cabinet. If you'll recall, uh, when we were talking about it at the time when they had just announced they were going to do a Rampage movie, which became the movie with Dwayne Johnson, turned out pretty good, actually. It's a fun flick. It's kind of silly, but it's mm-hmm. it's a fun flick. And and if you play the original video game, and they changed it for the movie, in the original video game, the whole point is you can play as one of three monsters, and the monsters are really, really big, and their the goal you, is to destroy gain, more buildings than the yeah, other you, monsters. You, you get points by smashing buildings and, and eating people, and you actually get yeah. to pick them off off the ground. There's animation yeah. of them chewing. It's pretty great. Beautiful chaos. Just absolutely. It's one of, the, one of the best arcade games on the market. Um, and your options were... A, you could be basically Godzilla. Lizzie. It was Lizzie. She was a big reptile monster. <coughs> she looked a lot like Godzilla. You could pretend it was Godzilla. Then there was a big ape, and you could was, basically pretend it was King Kong. That was George. George. George is basically King Kong. King Kong, Godzilla. The two most famous kaiju, mm-hmm. giant monsters in movie history. And then for your third option... There's Ralph. There's Ralph. Ralph was a wolfman. But unlike most wolfmen, Ralph was like 20 feet tall. Mm. It was which, just as tall as the other monsters. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, makes sense. You want to be able to compete with mm. Lizzie and George. However, there is no giant wolfman movie. Uh-huh. There should be. They invented it for Rampage. I think that's innovative. I'm not saying it's not innovative, but I'm just saying it raises the question, where did the inspiration come from to have a giant wolf man? (laughs) And it raises questions about Ralph's origins, because he's Uh, a wolf man. Was he a giant who was bitten by a wolf? Uh Or was he a giant wolf who was bitten by a man? Hang on a second. Or was he a man who was bitten by a giant wolf? We, uh, We have an answer to those questions. Uh, Rampage video game uh, had like little Official origin story origin cards. Yeah. yeah. Well, as always, research and, and uh, education ruins all my good times. <laughs> yeah, there were like, <coughs> excuse me, there were like little origin story cards. And one of them I was like testing dangerous food additives. Yeah. And the chemicals transformed Some, them. Something kind of funny, you know, nothing, yeah. nothing like, nothing tragic. And then like, you know, well, one, one and then 80 sw- scientists, all of whom had children, died well, suddenly yeah, while they were making Lizzie. Like, swimming in, in a radioactive lake, if yeah. I recall. I'm, I'd have to find the actual like screenshots. Yeah. In but, the movie, they're just animals that grow big. That was the whole thing. They're each in animals and they grow super big. That, that was the whole deal. Um... Lizzie became, I think, like a crocodile or an alligator, and uh, Ralph was a wolf. Yeah. yeah, Ralph was like a flying squirrel wolf, which was a little weird. Oh yeah, some kind of particularly weird wolf kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but to to answer your question, while Whitney looks up the secret history of Ralph the Giant Wolfman, <laughs> I gotta find it. It's online sure it's, somewhere. It's, oh, it's online somewhere. That's what the internet was invented for. That kind of bullshit. Uh, made for TV movies. Made for TV movies didn't go away, but they did evolve. Uh, it used to be that TV actually had a ton of made-for-TV movies. In fact, a lot of TV in the 1950s was basically in primetime. They would do one-act plays on TV, often live. Sometimes they wouldn't even record them very well. Here we go. Found it. Um, George's origin story, Eric's experimental vitamin has ill effects. Okay. Uh, for Lizzie, woman finds lake to be radioactive. Okay. And uh, Ralph was unusual food additive, may be recalled. But was so it the a, 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 some wolf, sort of radioactive? Was it the wolf who additive. ate it or a person who ate it? Uh, clearly, a person ate it. I don't know if it's and, a person. And they even, had food additives for. There's food. even a, a picture of them before their mutation. Oh, okay. On, in the little headline, and it's a guy in a green cap eating a hot dog. And does he look very tall? Is there any sort of like sense of scale? No, it's just a headshot. So for all we know, he's twenty feet tall. I suppose that could be true. I'm just saying. I'll grant anyway. you that. Anyway, made-for-TV movies were very were, were a bit of a mainstay for basically the majority of TV history. Uh, they would 
make them all the time. There'd be uh, TV movies every week sometimes. Oftentimes, because they had really quick production schedules, they were very, very topical. Mm -hmm. They had to do with something that was in the news uh, or some whatever is uh, scaring people this week. Yeah. Uh, they would make something about that. We reviewed on uh, on Patreon um, um, a TV movie starring Cloris Leachman about the dangers of syphilis. And there is a, a, a song in that movie. The movie is called Someone I Touched. Mm-hmm. And Cloris Leachman sings it. And it's about getting syphilis. Someone I touched. And... Gave, gave her syphilis is the point. Anyway, so, there. but here's the deal. There's actually, because they made a lot of them, and these are actually testing grounds for a lot of people, Steven Spielberg got uh, many of his early breaks making TV movies like Duel. Yeah. And uh, a really cool one called Savage, which we didn't cancel too soon once because it was actually a failed pilot uh, that was like a... a a, a news reporter show starring yeah, like Martin the, Landau, but it was actually a pretty invest, solid two-hour thriller like, about investigating ter- corruption in the Supreme Court. Yeah, like really, really terse adult investigation show. Well-made thing. If you can track it down, it's totally worth it. Um, but yeah, so there's been a lot of really good ones over the years in a wide variety of genres, uh, and you know they keep making them. HBO puts them out sometimes. And there's a not so much on <coughs> network television as they used to, but still on occasion. Well, and now they've shifted to basically movies that go straight to streaming. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say that um, I remember uh, Steven Spielberg yeah. uh, had a, a rather controversial statement a couple oh, yeah. years ago where he said that uh, the films that are going to be released straight to streaming services, which is a lot of movies now. The bulk of movies that get a lot of press attention. He says those should be up for Emmys. Those are TV movies. Mm. And that something like the Academy Awards should be reserved to, yes, a dwindling number, but still uh, committed to theatrical features and theatrical features alone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people jump down his throat saying, oh, but that not that just sort of, you're not adjusting to a marketplace? I think, cetera, it's, cetera. I think it's splitting hairs, um, personally. But it's, well, and, and it's, then it's there, really, was, well, there was the, also the yeah. argument that uh, yeah. as media evolves, we need to sort of think a little bit differently as to what constitutes a feature film. I, I would argue and that the, the only time that that distinction matters in terms mm-hmm. of what is or is not like a movie uh-huh. uh, is if for awards consideration. It's like literally the only reason that's important yeah. is yeah. to and decide the, if this is this eligible for Emmys or, or the Oscars. No, and, and also a certain kind of storytelling structure. It's a, now, the, the difference is more or less aesthetic now. Yeah, especially now uh, that these TV movies don't usually have commercials to worry about and, mm-hmm. and like structures themselves around. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, so, uh, so Spielberg still, like, he holds the theatrical experience so dear yeah. uh, that he feels that the Academy Awards specifically should be about films, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think. I mean, why do why do we need to you know put so much important on the Academy Awards if they want to do just theatrical features? That's okay. If the Emmys want to expand to include more movies, that's also fine. You know, what I don't care about the Oscars or the Emmys. Really, it's really uh, not as important <laughs> as all that. Yeah, yeah I agree. So. Uh, what constitutes a TV movie? It's a movie you see on TV. And as somebody who grew up in the VHS era, most movies I saw were on a TV. But uh, yeah, but they should have been. But they were made for television. They weren't. The yeah, they, they weren't. Were, they were designed brought, to premiere on television. I, I understand that. But if you look at the medium through which I am consuming them, it's identical. Mm-hmm. So the distinction was already pretty hazy when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I've argued many times that uh, you know movies tend to look better on the big screen. It's it's beautiful presentation, yeah, if, it's gigantic, better sound design, I think if it's darkened worth, room, you get that crowd yeah. effect. I also think if it's worth seeing, it's worth seeing on a big screen. I, I don't disagree with any of that. However, I also think that we can be a little precious about that. Yeah. And the idea that, oh, this movie was made to be seen on the big screen. No. This movie was made to be seen. Mm-hmm. Now, it might ideally be seen on a big screen, but it's also going to spend almost the entirety of existence, not uh-huh. just the movie's existence, all of existence, being seen on TV. Yeah. After the first couple of months, most movies only most movies <coughs> never screen on a big screen after their first couple of months mm-hmm. in theaters. And the ones that do, pretty infrequent. Like, like if, yeah, in the like last a ten, rep- repertory house or like, something. Yeah. With, unless you went to see it like last month, in the last twelve years, if you saw Avatar, you saw it at home. Hmm. It's meant for the big screen. Doesn't matter if it doesn't work at home. It doesn't work. So I don't particularly like. I have preferences, sure, but I'm not super concerned yeah, about no. that. When we, but when. Uh, when someone says TV movie, mm-hmm. I think they're referring to a very specific type of an era of mm. film. And that is, yeah, from like maybe the 1970s and 1980s. 
I mean, I think that's where was, that's where we think about it. I don't know if every generation is going to have the same. Uh, was likely made for broadcast network TV, mm-hmm. not the cable stations, not the HBO. Movies. Yeah, typically those had bigger budgets, mm-hmm. more bigger actors <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think it's because they were a lot uh, chintzier. They yeah. had a lot, like way lower budgets. Yeah. They tried to go a lot further with lascivious subject matter, mm-hmm. TV movie of the week sort of thing, based yeah. on they were ripped from the headlines, that kind of thing. Yeah, and. Those types of movies, and uh, just for sake of clarity, TV movies, uh, have their own kind of appeal to them. Some of them are legitimately great. Yeah, sure. A lot of them are pretty bad, well, and the most of most of them are pretty awful. I, I kind of miss the days, and I'm, I'm actually, part of me is kind of happy we've gotten back to it, and we have this in streaming where they're mm-hmm. constantly searching for new movies to premiere every single week in order to keep people happy with the streaming service they're subscribing to. Excuse me, got again, got a bit of a cold. Um, but yeah, streaming services are constantly trying to make sure that they debut new films, TV shows, specials, whatever, every single week to keep people happy and make people go, well, I need to stay subscribed to this. They have all this new stuff. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. Uh, but that what that means is, on some point, you're doing what old school Hollywood did, which is you spend a lot of money on a few projects... The, 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 the primo stuff, the really big blockbustery type stuff, the handful of Academy Award friendly kind of prestige pictures that make you look really good. And then you're churning stuff out. <laughs> you are just churning stuff out. This is what we used to call B pictures. They were filler. They were sort of here to fill well, out a program. Pro- products. They're, yeah, yeah, they're product, basically. Yeah, they're the, but the opposite is, of art. Well, I don't know if they're the opposite of art. I think that's, I think that's harsh. But they're, <laughs> the studio that creates them uh-huh. is perceiving them as product. The people who make them are probably perceiving them as art. There was a time when uh, Touch of Evil was considered a B movie. Yeah, Touch of Evil is now considered one of the flick, best yeah. one of the best film noirs ever made. Why? The people making it didn't think of it as product. Uh-huh. So, and, and this is like the same thing I have with like Disney. Disney is concerned very much with preserving its corporate IP, and they'll make decisions based on keeping franchises alive and you know sort of perpetuating its longevity and its trademarks. But the people making those things are often trying really, really hard to make good movies, and the movies themselves sometimes turn out really, really good. But that doesn't mean that's what the studio is interested in. It's just they happen to foster that environment. Good. But there you go. So anyway, sometimes these things turn out really, really good. Sometimes they're just stuff. And sometimes just stuff is fine. You know, this is how Hallmark works. The vast majority of the of the films that premiere on Hallmark, and Hallmark has new films, I think, almost every week. We know about like the dozens they release every Christmas time, but they have new they have new like rom coms all the all th- throughout the year. Hmm. They're just making comforting stuff. These are uncomplicated movies. Occasionally, the people making them will do a better job than others or make them clever, but they're just there to produce comforting stuff. Lifetime likes to produce sort of randomly salacious stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's their big brand, you know. Just something, just something a little sleazy, but like nothing too like dangerous, you know. Something that'll like completely affirm whatever your personal biases are. <laughs> like that's their that's their bread and butter, uh-huh. and that's what they do. And they do it over and over again, and they've got it down to a science. I'm not saying they're all great, but they've got a niche. Good for them. But sometimes they do turn out really, really good. To the question, what are your favorite made-for-TV movies? And trying to stick to the to the spirit of the question, not get caught up in semantics, because there's a lot of really brilliant films that were technically made for television, but don't really fit what we think of as the traditional mm-hmm. mold. Uh, there's actually, a lot of my favorites are <laughs> the made-for-TV horror movies, which often get overlooked because, oh, they weren't all that violent, were they? Well, yeah, but they can still be really scary, like uh, The Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is a great example, starring Larry Drake. Uh, he's a he's a guy in a small town, and he's oh, he's yeah, got a, yeah. he's got a very low IQ, it's and on, he's friends with... Sh- it's on Shudder. I think it is on Shutter now, yeah. And he's got a very low IQ, and everyone in town looks down on him. And then it looks like a little girl has been attacked. She was actually attacked, I think, by like a dog or something. Mm-hmm. And Larry Drake saved her. But everyone assumed Larry Drake hurt her. Mm-hmm. So they kill him. And then the next know. Halloween, and they, he's like, he was like hiding out as a scarecrow. He was like pretending to be a scarecrow, and then they killed him. Yeah. And so now there's a scarecrow running around killing everybody in town through vengeance. And you know what? Not especially gory, but that's a solid slasher. It's really atmospheric, and I think the bad guy is Charles Durning, and he's like super scary in it. Okay. So like that's that's a good solid horror movie. Like I like that movie like a lot. 
Yeah. What about you? Any, any made-for-TV movies um, that What did I watch? I'm trying to think if there's any. I did watch a lot of like miniseries when I was a kid. Sure. Um, I, uh, I, I was fond of V as yeah. a kid. Uh, I... Um, we watched this on uh, on canceled too soon when we were doing the TV movies thing. Uh, yeah. we a miniseries called Intruders, oh, uh, which is yeah. a, an alien abduction thing prior like, to the X Files. Yeah, and, uh, but but still trying to capture that same zeitgeist at the time where people were talking about like like, was, like abductions were like big in yeah. the public consciousness at the time. Yeah. Uh, I was really fond of that one. I taped it and watched that one over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, Hold on, I'm trying to look yeah. up the name of one we covered on that series too because it ended up being surprisingly good. Yeah, uh, as for like TV movies from like my own youth, I actually turned those off. <laughs> it's like I, I I knew I I felt like I had their number. It's like this is just you're just trying to like I got the scare, gist of it. I, I read I heard about the story on the news. You're just making something based on the news. I don't yeah. believe in you. And Tubi is right back to that. <laughs> they've, just, they've already put out like a movie. Just about the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Are there two of those? Like two competing? But like Amber one Heard, of them. Tubi made one that's clearly in the mold of back when there were two Joey Buttafuoco movies competing right, in the nineties. Right, right. Just cranked it out in order to be mm-hmm. sleazy. Absolutely, just embarrassing. What the hell was this yeah, movie? Those, those always insane. made us giggle. Like uh, the short. Like I think Lady Killers. Which one was Lady Killers? Marilu Henner plays a detective investigating a serial killer who is stalking a male strip club. Oh, yeah, and They're yeah. killing all the male sex workers. It's got Marilu Henner. It's got Susan Blakely. Um, it's actually pretty good. Leslie Ann Downs in it as well. Like, it's it's like it's one of those things where, like, if it had been made for for theaters, probably would have had some real nudity in it. You know, like, mm-hmm. been, had that kind of, like, sexy thriller kind yeah, of vibe. Like grindhouse but, kind of a thing. Yeah, but like even made for TV, it's like they got away with some stuff. <laughs> like it's actually like a pretty solid slasher mm. movie thriller starring Mary Lou Henner as a badass cop. Awesome. <laughs> I love Mary Lou Henner. That's great. Yeah. I, I remember seeing, uh, I think it was called 30 to Life mm. and it was a science fiction movie where uh. in the future rather than going to prison for 30 years, you go into this magical machine that ages you for that time. Oh, that's interesting. So like uh, it's about a, a teenager who's it's like, caught it's like for the a princess crime. bride. I just sucked 30 years of Yeah, your more life or less. Away. So it's yeah. it's about this teenage kid and he's caught I think he, he's caught for something he didn't do. Like some it, just the circumstances were just wrong. He was put away for 30 years and he comes out and he's played by Robert Hayes uh, from mm. Airplane. Um, but this was the '90s, so it was like I think it was like mid '50s. Yeah, and it was about just having to adjust to being of, of an older man now. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, investigating the system and how corrupt it is and how it was being used uh, to it age out, you know, certain classes of people, mm. you know, all, all the corruption stuff. There was a movie I actually wanted to revisit uh, this last Halloween season uh, that I remember liking as a kid. I have no idea how it holds up. Uh, it was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It was, came out in 1980. Mm-hmm. It starred Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane. Now, this is before he was big. He was like, right. you would have recognized him from things, but he wasn't super famous. Uh, it had Meg Foster as Katrina Von Tassel. Uh, and the, the character of Brom, Dick Butkus. <laughs> Football player Dick Butkus played the character of Brom, played by Casper Van Dien in the Tim Burton movie. I remember thinking it was actually kind of fun and atmospheric. But I haven't seen it in forever, so there's there's that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, some recommendations. I, I clearly have a, a preference for to me for TV horror. I, I find it amusing. Like, I, <laughs> how do you make a really scary movie when you have that much limitations? How do you make a really scary movie when you know every seven minutes there's going to be like a commercial for like that <laughs> soft, cuddly bare fabric softener to like completely <laughs> take the edge off of whatever tension you're mounting like it's hard to do yeah. so like i have a lot of i have a lot of admiration for people who who, who tried drink the devil's blood is brought to you by lifesavers like yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah basically well great I'll, I'll get some candy i guess so that, that'll save your life from from, from the, the scarecrow <laughs> the dark night of the scarecrow <laughs> let's move on anyway, uh, here's a, a letter thank you for the letter here's a letter from luke hello luke hey luke um, hello boys uh i had a recent discussion with my brother about the movie hocus pocus huh. uh, we discussed why people obsess over this movie every halloween because it's not really that good <laughs> in fact i read an article last year titled when did we decide hocus pocus was a good movie mm-hmm. 
My theory is the reason that Hocus Pocus is so popular during Halloween, it has nothing to do with the story, the acting, or the script, but what's going on in the background. I believe that this movie is so popular because we all want to live in this town during Halloween. In this town, everyone seems to get in the holiday spirit. The leaves are perfect autumnal tones. All the kids go trick-or-treating safely, unsupervised, while the parents go to a costume party and the older people stay home, dressed up as Satan, and hand out candy. (laughs) To add, there's also the possibility that witches might show up. This is the Halloween we all want at any age. Hocus Pocus is the movie we want to live on October 31st. Am I correct, or am I absolutely correct? (laughs) Uh, my discussion question: Does the background sometimes stand out as the more memorable, uh, more memorable thing than the actual story? I believe Avatar had the same effect, mm. with people being obsessed with the fictional planet of Pandora and wanting to be immersed in it. I'm sure you might be able to discuss some other films that might have had the same effect. Thanks for the comment. Sincerely yours, Luke, the Giant Wolfman. Oh my God, really? Yeah, That's we amazing. Got another Giant Wolfman. I, I told you it was a thing. Um, uh, so regarding, first off, regarding your question about Hocus Pocus, Whitney finally saw Hocus Pocus. I did. I watched we mentioned it for, this, the, for the first time this Halloween season. I think we mentioned it once. Uh, we mentioned it on another podcast. I can't remember which one. Uh, well, no, we just talked about it. I don't think we talked oh, about it. Oh, we not talking about the yeah. So uh, Whitney had never seen it. Uh, I had seen it around the time it came out. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but like mm. shortly afterwards on home video. And I, you know, it was made for a specific Disney age demographic, and I was yeah. just aging out of it. But I liked it. The movie came out in 93. I was already in high school, yeah. so I, I wasn't really interested. I was 11, so I was just at the edge of that. And and you know what? I like Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. I like Sarah Jessica Parker. I like Kathy Najimy. I like Halloween stuff. I like Talking Black Cats. There's stuff I liked in it. Mm-hmm. But it was also just like it was. I was just at that age where like, I want to watch more mature stuff. Which, yeah. of course, is no sign of maturity, the desire to do that. Oh, so you... Uh, you- you call it more mature, but what you want to see is more sex and violence. Eh, kind of. That's, that's all you really want. Kind of. Um, I'm not going to pretend <laughs> otherwise. But anyway, so like, I liked it, hmm. but I'm not one of the people who was like, this. <laughs> this is our Waterloo. Like, this is the hmm. most important movie of our generation. There are people who just really, really, really love this movie. And I think growing up with the movie, when you have it on home video and you watch it over and over and over again, which mm-hmm. I don't know if people are going to do anymore that a streaming as you have access to it but something kind yeah. of precious about having the tape or the dvd well and also you know, I, I don't know uh, what what uh, habits are like these days with repeat viewings i know uh, I watch so them, many but, of the streaming you know, services are trying so hard to get you to watch whatever the new thing is exactly that it's i don't know how common it is for people to go back and rewatch movies multiple times it, it is at home. it is actually pretty common in fact if you look at the the actual like figures like netflix mm-hmm. releases all these new things all the time and what's their biggest ratings bonanza reruns of the office like yeah, right it was, there it's go. it's people like comfort yeah, so, stuff and that's i right. think that's what hocus pocus is whether you love it or merely like it or even if you're just enjoying the halloween vibes hocus pocus is that's exactly what it's designed for. It's to be yeah. comforting. It's to mildly entertain you. Maybe if you're a little kid, like the zombie stuff is a little spooky for you, but <laughs> probably not too much. Uh, and I agree that having just good Halloween vibes, there aren't a lot. There's a few, but there aren't a lot of great Halloween movies in the way that we have like great Christmas movies with lots of Christmas vibes, like Santa Claus the movie, or mm-hmm. not me about Santa Claus the movie, but the Santa Claus, uh, or or It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. These movies that just sort of scream the holiday season, just where everyone is sort of on the same page when it comes to decoration and celebration, yeah. and and where the entire story revolves around <laughs> the holiday and the paraphernalia and the the various pageantry of that holiday. We don't have as much of that for Halloween. Mm. So having a Halloween movie that's relatively safe for kids, that has all of those Halloween vibes, and that the parents themselves grew up with and enjoyed, yeah, that's a sweet spot. That's a perennial. That's a movie where even if it's not great, you can sell that every single year. Yeah, And that's, I think, one of the reasons why people make those kinds of Christmas movies. Why people make some of those Halloween movies is because even if you only make a two-and-a-half-star film... If enough people like it, you have a chance of becoming a cult classic. You're going to be watched every year. And yeah, yeah, Hocus Pocus is definitely that. Um, Yeah, I finally watched it. Um, The movie came out in the early 90s. And uh, like I said, I was in high school. But when I was a kid, I feel like I'd already seen, like, much edgier, scarier stuff. Yeah. Uh, Compare Hocus Pocus to something, you know, still pretty gentle, but much weirder, like Beetlejuice. Sure. 
Uh, this is a hard stuff in Beetlejuice. Yeah, like, like the, gross the, the, monsters. The, 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 and, all, like, there's a, a scene where um, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis like contort their faces with yeah. their hands and turn into these monsters. I'm amazed like, I wasn't some, scared by that when I was like seven yeah, the, when that came out. Scene, but yeah, like, it's people all get tone. their heads severed and they're pulling yeah. their own faces off. Like, there's it's some gross. It's kind of cartoony, but it's yeah, it's, it's gross. Kind of scary when you're yeah. a little kid. And I feel like compared to that, Hocus Pocus just has no teeth or no. character whatsoever. I, I like the three lead actresses, but you can tell that they're just completely uncommitted. They're just fooling around. Yeah. Like, they're not trying to create these important characters. They're just sort of, like, joking with each other. Having a great time. Sure. And there's a pleasure to that. Uh, but, yeah, when I expected it to really kind of take off and do something kind of scary, it's like, dude, I've already seen Army of Darkness. That came out, like, the year before. People's uh, yeah. walking skeletons. and Again, really cartoony. Yeah. That one's rated R, I think, for the blood volcano. Uh yeah, it's really not but, that. It's really not that harsh, all things considered. Yeah, but it's, like, it's, it's actually. I think today would probably be a PG thirteen. Yeah, like I, I, I would not have any compunction with showing just any random twelve year old something like Army of Darkness. Yeah, Evil Dead Two, too harsh. Army of Darkness, thirteen year old. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's that's pretty, a slumber party movie. You it, can watch. It's that. like yeah. there's all these like rubber skeletons flying yeah, around. It's, it's really ridiculous. There's like a couple of scenes that are a little creepier than others, so I, but mostly it's fine. I feel like even when compared to its contemporaries, it was really not at all that harsh. Like I said, I think it's made for a very particular demographic yeah. and you know i know people who like were like big disney heads or whatever who eschewed halloween they still thought it was like the devil's holiday right. and something like hocus pocus makes it a little bit more accessible and friendly it's mm. easier to sort of insinuate yourself into people's like vhs rotation when you're like trying to play it really safe yeah so um uh, mm. so yeah but to the second half of your question which was uh <laughs> movies where the background atmosphere is more mm. important than the plot that's a really good point. I think sometimes, and you were talking about this recently, I think, on Twitter, we put more emphasis on plot than we should. Uh, Not I've, everything I've, is about plot. I've, I've felt this way for a really long time, actually. The, uh, the, the fixation on story as the one driving facet of cinema yeah. is uh, kind of... Um, it's kind of a fallacy. I, I feel like that's yeah. not why people go to movies. Well, not, uh, and, I think uh, there, there are times when it is, but it's definitely yeah. not the unifying it's factor. Not, it's not the... Yeah, like a, a story is typically something that's very functional. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of the, the me- mechanical frame on which you're hanging everything else. It needs to function. It needs to have a good, strong frame. Otherwise, yeah. you can't hang those things on it. Yeah. But... I think uh, it's not what we're going to see. We're going yeah. to see an action sequence or a character we like yeah. or a, a certain big moment that a story has led to, mm-hmm. but the story like around it isn't so significant. Uh, we're there to see actors we like or we're there to see good photography or a good atmosphere, a good world that's been constructed. We're here to be, we're here to yeah. be taken away somewhere. Yeah, I, I, uh, I defy you to tell me the fineries of the story in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Like you probably can't because there's like the Van Tassels and the Van Garretts. Okay, and with, all these with getting all the names right, it'd yeah. be a big pain in the ass. But basically, yeah, so knowing was, all all the details of that, you're plot, not gonna let me try this. Sorry. Oh, okay, I'll let you try. <laughs> okay, hang on. All right, so all right, do you want do you want you want just the backstory, or do you want the whole plot from the perspective of of Nick Bud Crane? Uh, t- tell me whatever you remember. Tell okay. Me. Uh. There have been a, a series of brutal beheadings in a small town called Sleepy Hollow in upstate New York, mostly Dutch. Uh, it's always like the way that Christopher really said that, like it was really important. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe, I guess it's, it's funny. Um, and uh, uh, Ichabod Crane, who is a detective in New York City, who's upset that people aren't using the scientific method to actually solve crimes rather than just going by their gut, is assigned to investigate the series of murders, and if you can use science to solve it, then we will change everything in my, in in the way police forcing is done, oh. which didn't happen. So uh, he goes up there, and everyone's just like, "Oh yes, yes, it's uh, we have a supernatural headless horseman who's going around <laughs> killing everyone." And Johnny Depp's like, "What?" And they're like, "Yes." And Johnny Depp's like, "Well, I don't believe you." <laughs> okay, yeah. And then he goes around. He goes around investigating. The, the, the histrionics are very, very amusing, but I'm trying to. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to set a stage. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, he goes around there. A bunch of people get murdered, and it turns out every single person who has been murdered is not just random chance. They're all part of a conspiracy 
uh, to cover up the lineage of people who will be inheriting land because it turns out almost all of the land in this town is owned by one of two families, the Van Tassels and the other ones whose name I forget. The Van Garretts. The Van Garretts. They're all... And so basically, because there was a, a, a secret love child, they have to... Kill everyone who knows about it, make sure the child isn't born, all this horrible, evil, creepy stuff. Right. And then it turns out that the person who was responsible for killing everybody is the person whose land was stolen in the first place in the American Revolution. And this has all been her engineering all of this evil uh, by using witchcraft. And she has right. an identical twin who doesn't like that she's been using witchcraft but hasn't really been doing much about it. That kind of subplot just kind of falls away, but doesn't really matter. Okay. You, you and remember so way she more. <laughs> She stole the headless horseman's head, and when uh, you wield the head, it'll kill anyone you want. But all he really wants is the head. And so she explains it all in the most comically long, complicated monologue this side of Down With Love. It's this huge exposition day. It's, and it, it's, you really needed only half of it at most. And then it turns out you just give the headless horseman back his head. And he's like, cool, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm out, sees. And then he leaves, and everyone's fine. Uh, and he drags her to hell. Of course he drags yeah, you to hell, but yeah. yes, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, you, you remembered a lot more about sort of the land grab like, and being the, stolen during the gist, The, 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 yeah. the nitty-gritty is, yeah. is way too complicated and, and there was al- And though. there was also the Christina Ricci character mm. who was also practicing witchcraft and that was... Yeah, and, that, and she was a red herring, and yeah. then there was like Johnny Depp saw someone like having sex and we saw them like get clawed in the back and it turns out he was supposed to see that, that way he would identify someone's headless body by the claw marks, mm. but it turns out that was all there to fake someone's death and it's all thing. Yeah. Uh, how exciting. I know, this right? story about land grabbing and stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> is, but again, is, is what, that, you, what no. you remember is the vibes. Yeah. yeah that that you, movie has some of the you, best vibes of any movie you, ever made. You remember the the sequences, the people getting their heads cut off, the way the, the yeah. Headless Horseman looked on the other end of that bridge, yeah. the the wisps of smoke and all, yeah, all the scary I, red blood. All of that stuff is really cool. Yeah. And that's what makes the movie memorable yeah i would argue that although i think some of the star wars movies do have like strong mm. clear emotionally like driven plots like the first two movies in yeah, particular I was say star wars the is, first yeah, star wars is star wars has it, 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 it with flying colors i think the whole first trilogy basically does mm. but if it didn't the specificity with which the world is created would have carried a lot of us through yeah like the 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 cantina scene in the original was this moment where everyone's like Oh, I could be there. Mm-mm. That's like a whole thing. That doesn't feel like a set. That feels like you just walked in. Oh, like it feels yeah, like full of detail. It's this, this bar that's full of all these aliens. Yeah, and, and all that stuff's great. So, and we, but that's again, that's like a great moment of atmosphere and world that we remember. That's not really strictly speaking part of the plot. And again, I think when you look at the people who really love the prequels, and I don't, there are things I like about oh, them. Yeah, they're, they're just, but they're, they're, I think they're not very well constructed. But I think the things that we take away from them are the big character beats, of which there are like seven. <laughs> like it's really... Across three movies. Across three movies. Like you remember like the big <laughs> sweeping character beats and then all of the stuff about trade embargoes and shit, it's really not fucking important. You remember... Uh, Anakin's being taken away from his mom. You remember the, the, the Anakin big, big killing Darth everybody who killed his fight, mom. Yeah. You remember the Darth Maul fight. You remember, uh, um, uh, you remember uh, uh, Palpatine telling Anakin a story, like that kind of thing, <laughs> like, while you're at the opera. Like there's some, it, that's vibes. Like no, we're just no, we're just quoting the castle. It's the vibe of it. Um, <laughs> see if you've never seen the Australian comedy The Castle, please do. It's one of the funniest things it's, ever. It's quite good. It's really charming. You'll be quoting it forever. Um, but uh, but I think. Again, George Lucas was very, very good at creating worlds that you kind of believe. They felt like they really thought out a lot of detail. And so you want to visit even if the actual thing happening on screen isn't great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that rule applies to a lot of movies. I think it does. Uh, there's, there's a, and even if it's not something really specific like Avatar, where you know, he constructed this special effects planet where it's just yeah. full of all these really dazzling things. Or looks really pretty. If, if they had oxygen, I f- I'd love to go. I, I I'm not going like, to go and just put, put well, on a mask the whole time. Come well, on, well, shunt your body into an avi. You'd be they this don't, they nine, don't, nine foot tall blue god. Yeah, but you have to like have one like specially made for you like that. It costs like yeah, a like, billion dollars. You're not supposed to like. Oh, I mean, it's not just, easy. That's the whole point of the plot is that he had to like be. He was an identical twin, so it worked out. But it, you know, if I just get one, then I, that's how I'd visit. 
Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like uh, a film, if it's being made well enough or being made by a filmmaker who pays attention to these kinds of things, uh, it's going to have mood. Yeah. It's going to have tone. Uh, it's mm. going to have a specific, you keep saying the word vibe, the the. Yeah. The, the film school word is mood, uh, where you're going in and it's going to just feel a certain way. It's going to have a certain kind yeah. of a texture. Even if it's set in just the regular world, yeah. it's going to be photographed a certain way. There's going to be a certain maybe color scheme mm. or the way that you know the camera is placed down that will make you feel a certain way outside of anything that's character or story related. And I think that's why we return to a lot of the same movies over and over again. Mm. Maybe you like the plot, maybe you like the characters too, but... You want to feel that way again. Mm. You want to feel the way this movie makes you feel. You want yeah, to laugh the way this movie makes you laugh. You want to feel well, not, not swept even, away by. But well, you want to feel swept away by like a romantic atmosphere, the way certain movies yeah, have. But I, I, you know, it's not. I even, think if Moulin Rouge has that. Yeah, it's very like. You know. I think it's not even uh, that uh, grandiose or or demonstrative. I don't think it's about. Feel like laughing or feeling a certain. Well, I was using a few examples. Sweet. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of it, it's like a certain temperature of bathwater, something kind of ineffable yeah. about lowering yourself into this film and mm. just feeling really comforting with the aesthetic of it. And this is something that I've talked about. I think there are movies that are not even very well made, mm. but you go to them for that aesthetic. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I brought it up already, but. Hallmark Christmas movies. There you go. They have an aesthetic, don't they? They have yeah. a mood. It's a comforting mood. It's like Christmas is here, and the worst thing that could possibly happen is that you're not dating the right person, but it's okay. The right person is in your life right now. Give it a couple of weeks, bake some cookies with them, and everything will be fine. Yeah. That's a mood that we like sometimes, mm. and people go back to it over and over again. Uh, I'll point to a, a notoriously bad film, uh, mm. Phil Tucker's Robot Monster, uh, yeah. from 1953. I actually uh, quite like Robot Monster. I, I kind of like Robot Monster, too, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard to sell as a, a cinema classic. No, no, uh, no, it's definitely, it's definitely cult all over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you know, it's clear, you know, the... Roman the monster looks completely ridiculous. But it's an, this, if you've never seen it, it's a it's the Roman the villain is the piece, and he's conquered the whole planet. There's only like five humans left. Yeah, it's this post apocalypse, and he's hunting them down. He's trying to kill the last remaining humans, and he's he's like the big alien menace, and he's in like a off the rack ape suit mm-hmm. and a diving helmet. That's which it. They, which they put antenna on, and they so put antenna yeah. on the diving helmet, so he's, so he's from space. So yeah, it's a, that's the robot monster. Um, surprisingly effective. Like, <laughs> like you just kind of have to go with it. But it, the dialogue is completely stupid. They yeah. just shot into Panga Canyon. There's nothing really unique about the aesthetic, yeah. and yet somehow it has this weird quality. It's weirdly it hypnotic. Has this, yeah, this kind of yeah. otherworldliness to it's, it. It's made with so much more sincerity than a lot oh, yeah. of movies are made with nowadays. So I, I think yeah. that might be why a lot of people uh, are just drawn to the movies they're drawn to. They're drawn by that particular mood. It somehow yeah. fits the wavelength that they're also giving off. I think this is how a lot of cult movies uh, mm-hmm. uh, get their standing as well, because here's a movie that gives me a feeling or takes me to a place that no other movie does. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's bizarre, even if it's off-putting, <coughs> there's no other film exactly yeah. like Liquid Sky. If you tried, <laughs> you wouldn't make it. I remember reading an essay once on, uh, on the Garbage Pale Kids movie. Yeah. It was the very... It's very, intentionally off-putting. Yeah, and, yeah. and they... they uh, uh, I forgot who wrote the essay, but they said that the function of the film, of most films, is to draw you in. Mm-hmm. Here's the world, enter it, come into the film. Whereas the Garbage Pail Kids movie was the exact opposite intention. It's there to push you out. Yeah. It's just kind of repel you and disgust if you. We and how, the theater, if we can get everyone to leave the theater, if we can get everyone to leave the theater early, we might be able to fit in extra screenings. And <laughs> cut it off and start a new one. <laughs> I don't think that's the. No, I don't it's think that's how it works. Funny thought, though. Anyway, it's just we, a, a strange aesthetic yeah. experiment. We've only done two letters so far. Let's, let's pick right. up the pace. Let's, of yeah, let's do a, a great question so far. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, Here's a letter from James. Hello, James. Hey, James. Um, 
Uh, good evening, sirs, and nearby felines. Oh, there are some kitties around right. here. Um, the Once a Decade Sight and Sound Poll. Yes. Coming, it's coming in December. Um, important to note that there are multiple directors and critics. For Best Movies of All Time is coming out soon. Yes. Uh, my friend and I recently had a conversation about the poll and a lot of the things that will be plucked directly from the conversation. So if you're listening, Mike, here's your <laughs> attribution credit. Our discussion centered on a central question. Uh, should this year, should this be the year with a wave of more contemporary films added to the list? Mm-hmm. I know that more people have been added to the, uh, the poll this year. Like, more people were pulled this year. I, I have heard something to that effect. Neither of us mm-hmm. were. We begged to. They, they didn't ask us, so yeah. I'm I not... know a lot of people who have been in the industry, like, about as long as I have. Mm. Talented people all, they should all be invited. But we didn't make the cut. I don't know how you make yeah. the cut. I don't know if there's like... I don't know. level of prestige you need to it's, reach. It's a bummer, but, yeah, but there you go. But it. I know they added a lot of people and that they're, mm. they're trying to really expand the pool and that might change the list dramatically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... It's a bit of a faux pas to declare a film released in the last 10 to 20 years to be one of the greatest of all time, but it's important to note that cinema from before that period, especially American cinema, is mostly white. Mm. Uh, recent years have marked at least the earnest beginnings of a shift in our cultural understanding and how many and many now acknowledging that, by and large, people of color weren't given the same opportunities to make art until relatively recently, and you could still make the case that they aren't today, but it's certainly yeah. better. Yeah. Uh, a good example for this, the only film by a black director I saw in the 2012 Sight and Sound Pol- Critics poll is the film Tukibuki by Jibril Diop uh, Mambete. Mm. Uh, before him, there are four Alfred Hitchcock films. Four. Four. Alfred Hitchcock films? Yeah. Is any critic worth their salt really going to line up and say that there are four Alfred Hitchcock films better than the entire filmography of black directors in the history of cinema? Yeah. Uh, the discussion around, quote, the greatest films of all time seems frustratingly content to fall back on sacred cows yeah. when we have a real opportunity to flex the newly, newly vibrant muscles that cinema has grown over the last two decades. Even earlier than that, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, I was shocked to learn, was not on the 2012 list at all that uh, that amazes yeah. me that is one of the best movies at least one of the best american mm. movies ever made uh more recently movies like steve mcqueen's moonlight and jordan peele's get out have received critical mm. acclaim and recognition by sight and sound voters for that matter uh i don't think steve mcqueen and, did moonlight steve mcqueen mm. did 12 years of slay 12 years of slay oh yeah barry jenkins did moonlight. barry jenkins did so moonlight. sorry just for the so, sake yeah. of listening just for barry the sake jenkins, of clarity barry jenkins because, moonlight yeah. jordan peele's jordan peele did do get out yeah uh and you don't even have to restrict the discussion to uh, to race to for the shake up. Yeah. Uh, the critics poll has a serious dearth of uh, females as well mm-hmm. with progressive ideas. Mad Max Fury Road shows a startling intersection of class struggle feminism. It was made by George Miller, but uh, yeah. climate change and eugenics, and it funnels that all into wall to wall technical marvel. But because it came out in the last ten years, it is it off the table? Come now. I also think the conversation around directors has changed too. We're a lot less likely to excuse the notoriously abusive tactics of someone like Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. All of this is to say that I think it's a moral imperative of film critics and directors to change the conversation about the best films of all time and acknowledge the inherent supremacy of excluding recent films from discussion. The Criterion Collection recently underwent a similar conversation, and to their credit, they put their money where their mouth was. Since 2020, they've had an intentional infusion into the film canon of marginalized voices, and the collection is better for it. I understand the temptation to say, let's wait a little bit longer. Lord knows the newer generation has a tendency to overact. Remember when James Cameron's Avatar was the best film of all time for a month? <laughs> yeah. It was, in, it was this last September when it got re-released. <laughs> but while on a much smaller scale than civil rights, this does seem to be a case of justice delayed is justice denied. Yeah. We can't keep telling marginalized filmmaker, don't worry, we'll get you next decade. Yeah. Of course, my ballot appears to be lost in the mail, so I think I don't get to help this time. <laughs> I'm eager to hear your thoughts, and welcome. Uh, you're welcome for the long letter, says James. James, uh, great, great email, great mm. questions, great points. Uh, first off, uh, the sign sample. We don't know exactly when that's dropping. It's expected this month. Uh, no, it's December. Is it December now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, when that drops, we're going to do a very <laughs> special episode about it. We're going to talk about the films that made it, the films that didn't, and we're going to talk about the films that we would have voted for had we been given the opportunity. Mm. And we'll talk about some of these things there too. Uh, short answer. Uh, I think by expanding the pool and I think by incorporating a lot of critics who are part of the new school of film criticism, people who have emerged as prominent voices in the field or even just, uh, uh, yeah, just prominent voices in the field in the last 10, 15 years, they grew up in a different generation. They Mm -hmm. value different things. They grew up with different movies. I think that we're likely to see an influx of 
more contemporary movies. Maybe not new, maybe not in the mm-hmm. last 10 years, but probably if you look at the 2020 at <laughs> uh, the 2012 poll, there's some, some very few from the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. Man. Just in general. I in suspect fact, we'll see had, a few more. They had to conduct an unofficial secondary poll yeah. in 2012. Because there were so few newer films from the previous decade on the list. Uh, uh, So I think because of this generation has grown up with their own generation of films and they canonize their own stuff, we'll see an infusion of newer films. I don't know how many. I don't know. I suspect the ones we get, we might see a more populist list than before. I wouldn't be shocked if we started seeing more, you know, Ghostbusters you know, that kind of thing. I'm yeah. hoping that people take it seriously. <laughs> I love the way you but, said Ghostbusters. And I love Ghostbusters, but I don't know I if it belongs it on the poll. It's not one of the best but, films of all time. But I think there are definitely uh, 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 critics who might have a more populist uh, uh, bent, hmm. who might want to add some of that to the list. But I also think it's really, really important, as you said, uh, to acknowledge people who have been sort of routinely left out of the yeah. conversation. There are not nearly enough female filmmakers on the list. There aren't nearly enough uh, filmmakers of color on the list. There aren't nearly enough queer films on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think these are all things that we should be making a conscious decision because this isn't just about... Not, people aren't supposed to pick just their 10 favorite movies. We're trying to well, actually uh, talk about what deserves to be canonized, what yeah, deserves the, uh... to be declared great. And I think that, that there's, a, there's so many movies that do... When you only get ten, the ten you choose, you should be very careful with what you choose. Yeah. Um, and we don't know what sort of guidelines the voters are given. No, or if they that, g- if they give certain guidelines to themselves. Are they told them, to vote with their heart? Are yeah, they some told of them to are, like, vote are, for probably are significance. their yeah. favorite movies. I'm sure some are. Uh, I feel like... A, it, this is how I would think, anyway. Yeah. That the list has to be very carefully weaponized. Yeah. That uh, you have to get somebody's attention with something you put on this list. Yeah. Uh, you can sure you can put Citizen Kane on the list. There's a few it's, prominent uh, classic movies yeah. that I would put on the list because I think they've actually earned that canonization, mm-hmm. and I think they deserve to remain in that conversation. Yeah. But probably no more than three. I would probably yeah. be a little more. Interested in adding new films to the roster, yeah, but uh, I I would want to select at least two or three films mm. that uh, are going to get people's heads turning. It's yeah. like oh, you it really is. think that's one of the best of all time, and and this is me being earnest. Yes, I do, and yeah, yeah I, no, I, I can actually defend my yeah. placement of those films. You and I both know a lot about <coughs> movies. We love a lot of movies. We respect a lot of movies. Mm. We've seen a lot of the great so-called greatest movies ever made. Uh, we could fill a list of 200 of the greatest movies ever made by ourselves very easily mm-hmm. and still have stuff left over that would annoy us. And, so picking yeah. 10, you've got to be careful and you got you got to pick your battles. And so there are definitely some films that I would also pick. And again, we'll reveal those yeah. when the, it's revealed at the end of the year. Um, there are definitely films I would pick that it would be me making uh, taking a stance. Yeah, I'm taking a stance. And the thing is, is that it's not just... Everyone's list, at least traditionally has been available even if the movies that they voted for didn't make the final list. So mm-hmm. that you can at the very least see, oh, I wonder what this filmmaker yeah. chose as their ten films. Oh, they picked ten films that didn't make the list, but they must have felt really strongly about it. And you can seek those out. That's one of the beautiful things about this. So this is all for, for posterity. <coughs> the other thing that I think is is worth pointing out is, as you say, a lot of people are really uh, hesitant to canonize films too early. Yeah. To say that, oh, this came out within the last 10 years. Can we really call it one of the best movies ever made? I would argue that if you feel strongly about your taste in film, which I would hope you do as a critic, you should be able to recognize some things that you feel really strongly about. Now, I wouldn't put them all 10 yeah, well, from the 2010s, but there's at least two, three, or maybe even four movies <laughs> that I would seriously consider putting in my top 10 from the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. I, I remember um, I, I read a lot of Roger Ebert uh, <coughs> about, about 2012 when the last poll yeah. came out. And I was looking up. Roger Ebert had been polled in the past and he said that he was going to keep his list the same, but he also wanted to update it. But he had to think really hard about what's something from the last decade. And he could only think of one. Mm. And it was The Tree of Life. Yeah. Uh, to, which to had really like, just come out, though. It yeah, was like a it was, year it was before. A year old. It's like, but he was confident this is one of the best movies yeah. of all time. I'm going to put it on my list. If you're confident in your taste, you should be <laughs> able to know. And again, this is not something you should be throwing out willy-nilly. Mm. I can think of maybe a, 
a half dozen films in the last 15 years that I would even consider putting in the top 100. But yeah. I can think of a half dozen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I understand <coughs> um, the impulse to uh, you know, sort of alter your list in a certain way. It's also important to do that sort of thing because uh, the history of cinema is... Uh, an incredibly sexist and racist industry. And yep. a lot of uh, a lot of people were just left out uh, mm. because of their gender or because of their race. Yep. Uh, and also, so, and uh, also, it's it's very centered around certain countries as well. So yeah, a lot of countries, American films, and, and also, French, Italian, and Japanese. And also, the, the yeah. films that had previously been canonized in previous year, who was canonizing them? What kind of critics mm-hmm. were were uh, recommending those? It was actually kind of a pretty limited scope. A lot of great movies in there. Sure, I wouldn't discourage people from watching those films. No, there are very but, few on that list. I would say that doesn't belong there. Yeah. You know? uh, but there's also a lot of but films that say there's there a, more. I was about to say there's a heck of a lot more that could probably go in their place or yeah. should be discussed on the same level. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing, which I think we don't really consider, is should we include new films that were just made in the last decade? But what we never think about is when did people see these movies? Uh, what do you mean? Did a critic watch one of these classic films? in the last decade for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Are you coming you know, at it from the perspective of when it came out or Or, or when you saw back? it. Yeah. We've, you know, we've reached a point. The, the Sight and Sound poll, I think, first came out in 1954 prior to home video. And now we've lived with... It was right? When the, or 50, excuse me, 52. Yeah, it was on the twos, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, now we have home video. Now we have new generations mm. of filmmaking uh, filmmakers and critics discovering films for the first time uh, you know, that were made decades before they were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if somebody votes on the 2012 poll and they just saw Citizen Kane within the previous decade, surely that would be a film from the previous decade, right? That's how long they've had to consider wow. it. There's a lot of writing about it, sure. Well, There's but, been a lot of consideration yes. about it. That's but true. But they only saw it for the first That's, time. Your, your point... To join that conversation I, kind of recently. And the I, difference is, yeah. a new film, just everybody just does it at the same time. I would argue... I, I see your point, and mm. I think what you're talking about more than anything else is recency bias. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, how recently did you watch it? And But I would argue that there's something a little different between watching a brand new film and a movie that is storied. And, there, you know, we, we've all had this experience where we watch an older movie and we realize, oh... Mm-hmm. this had a huge influence on stuff I already knew. And you can see its place in history more than you could have if you just saw it the week it came out and had no idea the impact that it would have. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that's a factor. Um, I, but yeah, I'm very curious. I don't. I only know some people who are asked to, to be in, uh, <coughs> involved. I'm very, mm-hmm. very happy for all of them. They all deserve it. Uh, but I don't know. Obviously, the vast majority. I'm very. I'm hoping that they really were able to diversify uh, uh, the crowd. Yeah, the voting body. And... I hope it's a larger pool, and I hope that the pool that we have uh, is full of people coming from different backgrounds, different disciplines. Um, I. But I. A, a part of me worries it might be more contemporary than it should be, mm-hmm. and that. Unfortunately, I think there is definitely <laughs> like a tendency kind of, kind of overcorrection. <coughs> well, we're, we're both coughing a lot. We've been talking. Yeah, a while. sorry. We're, we we need we we will we need to wrap this up pretty soon, or we're going to die. Um, but I I worry because I think there has been, and I think the sight and sample might be a bit of a referendum on this. I think a lot of contemporary film critics, not not all of them, but I think a lot of contemporary film critics tend to really focus on more recent cinema. Yeah. Rather than making a point of going back and studying silent cinema or yeah, the I, 1930s I, or whatever. I, and I'm convinced that recency bias, it's not just a human memory thing. I think it has a lot to do with marketing. It is. Uh, you know, the, the films that are being pushed at you the most aggressively are the newest ones. Well, it's not just the newest ones. It's also, <clears> like, <throat> I mean, look at something like Hocus Pocus. That's not yeah, new. Or, or the things that but, are, yeah. But because when you kept, think about Kept in the consciousness uh, through for commercial purposes. Professional critics... Mm-hmm often have to write about things that their publishers think people want to read about. And there is such a recency bias in that regard that a lot of film critics have to spend most of their time talking about relatively recent films. And they don't necessarily have as much free time to do all of that deep digging. Now, I know a lot who do. Hmm. I'm just wondering if that's going to affect the poll. I have no idea if it will. I hope it doesn't. I hope they hope it, once again it's a good vast sweep of history, but I hope that the types of films that we uh, uh, nominate change a bit, mm-hmm. and that we see a shift in perspectives and maybe a shift in canonization. What if not only is Citizen Kane not the number one movie? What if Vertigo isn't either? What if there's a mm-hmm. whole new number one, and what would it be? 
Yeah. That'd be interesting, right? And what if it's not Star Wars? <laughs> Should be interesting. Can I ask you? If I were just to put you on the spot right now, yeah. what would be your number one? If or, I had or, the, or do you want to hold off? Well, I would say... Hold off. <laughs> okay. Hold off. There's there's definitely a few films that I think because again you don't like pick what you think the number one should be you pick your ten yeah there are definitely a solid <laughs> the films that are mentioned most yeah, yeah. most films, there, yeah. I think there's a definite for me there's a definite solid like ten maybe fifteen films that have a legitimate claim to be the best movie ever made mm-hmm. and I'll give you a list for like a short film uh, to- Tokyo Story yeah uh, Citizen King okay. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey okay. um, Rules of the Game Yeah, Rules of the Game uh, Sure, of thieves, I, would, yeah. I would argue uh, Nosferatu The original Nosferatu, okay. there's, a, there's a claim there Metropolis hmm. uh, has a claim there um, Hell, Star Wars arguably has a claim Like, you, yeah. they definitely does have Historical impact yeah. and artistic value You could really make that argument yeah, You it, could make that argument about Psycho yeah, or, You uh, know? Ingmar Bergman's Persona Sure uh, yeah, there's definitely you know, Seven Samurai, yeah, Seven Samurai, couple of uh, couple of Kurosawa films, Rashomon yeah. as well, and, and yeah. of course Gremlins Two: The New Batch. Gremlins Two: The New Batch, mm. Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. That's actually something that this is something that I would hope the Sight and Sound Bowl is able to incorporate is mm. a little bit more horror. There aren't a lot of horror. There aren't a lot. There's and... a few. Uh, the uh, Nosferatu usually has a place. And then Caligari usually has a mm. place. But not and Psycho, but like not a lot more usually. I, I would that. love to see something like completely out of left field, mm-hmm. like like Carl Dreyer's Vampire take the number one spot. Yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. That, that's very unlikely. No, of course, it's unlikely. But <laughs> was amazing. Nobody's talking wrong. about Vampire. I hope. I hope that make, that's a movie that I would hope makes the list somewhere. But like, I mm. don't think it's that, that's no, that's no. a long shot. But in any case, yeah. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see. It's exciting to see. And again, we will dedicate a whole podcast, probably a rather long podcast, to sort of uh, poking through the list that we get. The films that made it, the films that didn't make it, what this sort of says about uh, mm. the critical sort of uh, landscape and landscape that we're that we're in today, uh, and we will talk about the films that, if we had been picked, what we would have selected. And I can say right now, if I did it today, I think there's at least two movies from the last ten years I would have put in my top ten. Hmm. There you go. Okay. I, I feel strongly enough about them that I feel yeah. like they're gonna that, no, that, I, that, that, it, that you could do it. I've I've got yeah at least three or four just from the last decade that I would happily include in a top ten yeah. of all time. And I, there's two that I almost definitely would. So okay. there you go. Anyway, uh, uh, we we, we had that uh, aside at the beginning, so we're gonna do one more letter. Okay, uh, this is a letter from Starship. Oh, hello, hi Starship. Starship. Uh, hello, sirs. I hope this spooky season treated you well. Mm. Ooh. Uh, I just listened to your Iron List on horror anthologies, nice. and I just wanted to mention that uh, two didn't make the episode. Oh, um, snap. Mario of Bava's Black Sabbath. Oh, I'm not yeah. wild about the middle segment, but I think the first is a lot of fun and feels very giallo, but with less gore, and I adore the last segment, which is one of my favorite stories. Uh, Mario Bava's Black Sabbath is, uh, is, uh, is a poor anthology from Mario Bava. I'm actually, I don't <laughs> think I, I know how, how ridiculous was that. But I, I don't think I mentioned it at all, actually. It deserved yeah, at least an honorable mention. Yeah. It, is, it is rock solid. Uh, the second one is Kwaidan by oh, Alasaki yeah. Kobayashi. It's yeah. been quite a few years since I've seen it, but I remember being very creeped out by it. It was years later when I saw uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, that I recognized one of the segments mm. as being lifted directly from Kwaidan. Uh, I got quite a kick out of that. Uh, finally, Bibbs, I'm not the person who wrote in asking about the legend of Gatorface. <laughs> But I did see that movie as a kid, and I've often wondered over the years just how the hell it was, uh, what the hell it was called. So thank you so much for putting that mystery to rest for me. All the best. I love it when we can solve those mysteries. I remember that's one of the first things I was excited about (laughs) for the internet. We really need to wrap this up before we die. Um, That was one of the first things that like movie sites used to do on the internet that really excited me was Mm. they would have people write in and say, "Hey, what's this movie?" Yeah. And then we would, I, I you would answer that question. I remember this thing, and it yeah. was this thing, and yeah, you could actually put it out to yeah. the then novel Hive Mind. Yeah, well, or or just, or just the, the, the public, critic yeah. at the site, and you would test their their knowledge. This is something that we used to have at video stores all the time. Like yeah. I remember, uh, like I was working at Hollywood Video, and the people would just walk in. And it's like, hey, what's that one fantasy movie with the giant spider in the hourglass? And you'd be like, it's Crawl. <laughs> and then you'd let, and then they'd rent Crawl that day because that had been really, really bothering them. Now they could just Google that, and then they no longer have to see Crawl. So, 
all of that all of that's great I, mm. I, I, I love uh, all of that but yeah we, we did miss a few horror anthologies someone mentioned another one that oh, shoot damn it someone mentioned another one that we didn't put on there that was like a total oversight and probably should have at least oh for anthology films yeah and I'm totally spacing on it right now because you're both sick but yeah <laughs> we, we you know it's it's an imperfect <clears throat> science you know we, we, we left a few things out mm. but Black Sabbath is a pretty notable one it wouldn't have made my top 10 because I think it's a little inconsistent but uh, Mario Bava's great. I actually watched for the very first time. It was one of the few like iconic, really influential horror classics I'd never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Halloween, uh, one of the films we watched uh, was Bay of Blood, okay, which is a Mario Bava film, and it is a film that was a very big influence on the slasher boom that followed. Films like Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday Thirteenth in particular ripped off a couple of the kills, mm-hmm. like the, the the javelin while people are having sex. <laughs> um, it's incredibly gory. Mm. It doesn't make much sense, actually. And here's I was kind of surprised about that because Bava's, you know, kind of a, a weird filmmaker, but usually there's something resembling a through line. And this one, it's like, nah, I feel like you just kind of threw this together in the editing room, but I am captivated. And it ended up feeling like it's one of like the most weirdly, almost profoundly cynical movies. <laughs> it's just everyone is just like one... <laughs> one bad right. afternoon away from being a homicidal maniac, apparently, and it's it kind of, it's kind of glorious. So uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody who wrote in. Sorry we didn't get to as many uh, letters as we usually do, but we like to talk, don't we? We sure do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us another email uh, uh, if you haven't already. Please send us an email. If you we didn't get to yours, send us another one or give us a nudge on social media. Uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and, of course, if you want to listen to this show ad-free and a whole bunch of other exclusive shows, you can go right on ahead and head on over to patreon.com slash network. Where you can hear shows about the Step Up movies. We've got a new episode of that coming soon. Uh, we've got shows about the Academy Awards. We've got a new episode of that coming pretty soon. We do a weekly show about every single episode of Star Trek. I think we already talked about that. That's why we had to do another letter. Um, we do commentary tracks. We're going to do a commentary track for The Terminator this month. We do uh, Discord hangouts. We do trivia nights. It's a lot of fun stuff happening over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And if you like soap... <laughs> if you're new yourself, to the podcast William. if you're new to the podcast that might be a weird segue if you like soap head on over to patreon.com slash salt cat soap we have a soap of the month club we'll send you awesome fancy soaps every single month US customers only but we'll send you those soaps you're going to really like those soaps we make really really cool soaps uh, we're getting the soaps ready for November uh, and you have plenty of time to sign up for our December line, and we have some really cool stuff planned for December. You're really going to like them. <coughs> Whitney, yeah. you, you need to go home and get uh, a yeah, lozenge I or something. Need a so, lozenge. Thank you, everybody, for who's already signed up to Solid Cat Soap. Thank you, everybody, uh, who has subscribed and signed up for Patreon, especially. And if you can't, no worries. Please subscribe. Leave us a review if you find us. That's great. We like it. And um, that's it. Sincerely yours, Pips and Whitney. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.